0: Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to look at Psalm 95 now, uh, as we come to look at your word, uh, we ask that you will, uh, by your spirit help us to be people who hear your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before coming to Kananara, every April meant one thing: Kick. Uh, Kick is a popular youth conference held in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. Thousands of youth would ascend the mountain to attend. I'd estimate i have been to this conference probably 15 to 20 times. I went when I was a youth, a youth leader, a student minister, a youth minister. And I've got to be honest with you, as I got older, it got harder and harder to get excited about going to this KICK conference Uh, because it meant uh, hanging out with a a bunch of really excited uh, teenagers a little begrudgingly as I got older. I didn't really want to go. Uh, Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Uh, Maybe you've had a similar experience where you've begrudgingly said like it. So in those, those moments, and we do have those moments where we would prefer not to meet with God's people. It reminds us of the greatness of our God. And encourages us to keep holding on to Jesus. So uh, please, if you've got your Bible there, open to Psalm 95 because we're going to spend quite a bit of time today looking at Psalm 95. And in Psalm 95, we see uh, two what's, two why's, and a warning that will show us the importance of meeting together. So let's have a look at the first what. And the first what is what are we to do? In Verse 1. It says oh come let us sing to the lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation it's an encouragement to come and sing praise to god as christians we sing and unless you're at a concert or a sporting match australians don't tend to get together and sing but we christians do at church and we sing to encourage one another, we sing uh, horizontally, that's where it says there, let us make a joyful noise, uh, let us sing, we're, we're coming together, we're encouraging each other. Uh, but we're also singing vertically, we're singing to God, to the Lord, to the rock of our salvation. Uh, today we sing of how God has provided through the, our salvation through the rock that is Christ. And we're exhorted to sing joyfully. And what joy we do have because we are saved. It's always helpful to remember that joy does not equal happiness. Joy in the Bible is not dependent on our feelings, but it's rather dependent on the fact that God is a God who fulfills his promises. It means you can come to church in a rotten mood, but you can still sing joyfully to the Lord because of what he has done for us. And that's what we see in verse 2. He says, The psalmist writes, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So, as we sing, we we come with thankfulness, of indebtedness, of knowing that God, through Christ, has done great things for us. See, the Christian will always have something to be thankful to God for. I read a, a book on Christian leadership recently, and it suggested that Christians, all Christians, not just Christian leaders, I should start their morning and finish their evening by giving thanks to God for what Christ has done for us on the cross. To help us to develop an attitude of thankfulness, of joy. And so all Christians through Jesus have this joy of salvation, this joy of knowing God, of having eternal life. And the psalmist encourages us to sing. And here is the great thing. God has given you your voice. And he doesn't care if your voice is not what you might consider a good singing voice. God knows what you sound like. And here in Psalm 95, he is encouraging us to sing. And he's encouraging us to encourage each other to sing. And so we can sing with joy, with gusto. So that is our first what. Let us come and sing to the Lord. But why? And this is where we see in verse 3. If you look at verse 3, you see the little word for, and it gives the reason why we are to come together and sing. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Why should we praise God? Well, he is our maker. And when it says that God is the king above all gods, it's not saying that there are other beings like him, that there are other deities out there. But it is making it clear that the the idols that humans create, the little g-gods that we create and worship instead of him, do not rule. Instead, our God who created all things rules over all. At Google, uh, they used to have a 20% day, uh, maybe they still do, uh, where an employee could spend 20% of their time uh, tinkering and creating. Uh, Gmail was the result of someone's 20% time. But what you created in that time, if you worked for Google, was Google's. They owned it. They ruled over it. They decided whether it saw the light of day or not. Well, in the same way, the world is God's. He is king's. Even if humans create idols, they are still in God's domain. They exercise no power over him. He exercises power over them. See, God, do you see what it says here in the psalm? God May, he is our maker he is the one that fashioned the oceans he dug its depths our God built the mountains and put them in place our God divided the waters between land and sea our God has immense power more than we could possibly fathom he deserves that we sing about him and praise him and give him thanks he created this world and he created you and me In the subconscious of many Australians is the belief that we are not created, that we are a happy accident of evolutionary process. But if we're thinking that, it means we're not praising God. And it means we're tempted to think that humans, you and me, are the most powerful beings in this world. Psalm 95 is a helpful reminder that our God is our maker. He made this world, he made us, and there is nothing more powerful than him. And as we meet this morning, we also know that God made the world, the Trinity, both, not both, all three, God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit were involved in the event of creating, creating the world, creating us. And so we we can praise him because he is God, he is our maker. And so we can sing, make a joyful noise to him. So we've seen the first what? We've seen the first why. We are to sing with joy. Why? Because God is our maker. Well, in verse 6, we see the second what. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Not only are we to praise our God, but we are to worship him. To bow and kneel before the Lord. See, to worship God is to recognize that he is our king. Uh, The picture of someone bowing to someone else, getting on their knees before them, in the context of rulers and royalty, is to say that you are greater than me. You are more powerful than me. You have more authority than me. And my life is in your hands. In the book of Esther, in the Bible, Mordecai, he refused to bow down to Haman. He refused to acknowledge his position or his authority, to recognize his rule. But in verse 6, that's exactly what God's people are exhorted to do. We are exhorted to bow and kneel before God, to recognize his authority. And it's not something that God's people were to do in isolation. It was something they did together. It's that, let us, we're encouraging each other to come and worship the Lord. Now, worship is something that we do that is to characterize all of our life. We are to continually worship God in every aspect of our lives, uh, to live knowing that God is king in everything we do. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, We are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is all of life. But there are moments when we actually we do need to come together. We do need to worship God together. We need to encourage each other in our worship of God. Now, you might have noticed that when we meet together, there's not a lot of physical bowing or even kneeling uh, that happens in church very much these days. But in days gone by, church pews would have bars located behind them. Uh, where you could pull it down and you could kneel on it. And the purpose of having these bars was to encourage a, a right frame of mind and heart before God. Now, whether we are physically kneeling or physically bowing or standing or sitting or whatever our posture might be, either way, we are to bow our minds and our hearts and worship before the living God. We are together to acknowledge that he is king. And the way that we do that today is actually by acknowledging Christ, God's son, who's died and was raised, by bowing the knee to him, recognizing that he is the Lord. So in everything we do, we seek to worship God. And as we look at verse 7, we see the second why. Well, why should we come and bow our knee and worship God? We've seen one reason, he is our maker, but here we see another reason, another why. It's outlined in verse 7, again with the word for, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Our God makes promises and he keeps them. Our God, with immense power, has shown that he loves and he cares for us. He loves us so much, in fact, that he sent his son Jesus into the world to save us, to redeem us. And so do you see what it says of God's people? Of those who trust in Jesus, it says we are his sheep. In the words of Isaiah 53.6, made famous by Colin Buchanan, we all like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. We are wayward sheep. But in Jesus, as Isaiah 53.6 continues, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our God has spared us no expense so that we can be his, so that we can call upon him and worship him. God has done what we could not. We deserve punishment for sin. God through Christ has given us forgiveness. Our sin means we deserve death. God through Christ instead gives us life. Our sin means we deserve not to be God's sheep, the people of his pasture, yet God, through Christ, promises that all who bow their knee to him, who worship him, will forever be his sheep. What a reason to worship God. We have experienced God's grace. We are people under his care. And how good is it to know that the God who has infinite power is looking after us. And then he has the power to look after all his sheep in all ages for all time because he's so powerful. So let us hear the exhortation. Let us come and bow down and worship our God. So what are we here to do? We're to sing praise to God. Why? He's our maker. What else are we to do? We're to worship God. Why? Because he's our God and we through Jesus are his sheep. But Psalm 95 also comes with a warning. It's a very serious warning. It's a warning we need to sit up and take note of. A warning we need to respond to with self-examination and honesty. Because if we don't heed this warning, our eternal future with God is at risk. You see it there in verse 7. Today, if you would... Hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. The warning is this, when God speaks, make sure you listen. So, What happened at Meribah and Massa? Well, we, we had it read from Exodus 17 earlier. God's people, God's sheep rebelled against God. They forgot the power of God. They forgot how he had miraculously saved them from Egypt. They'd seen God's marvels. They'd seen him dry up the Red Sea, send plagues on Egypt. Surely it would be no small thing for God to be able to provide water in the desert for his own sheep. But yet, that's what the issue is here at Maribar and Mesa. The people hardened their hearts towards God. And so Moses says in verse 7 that he named to the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And if we flick back to our psalm, Psalm 95, it says in verse 9, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. They tested God. They heard God's voice, but they hardened their hearts. They did not believe God. They failed to believe God's good word. They failed to believe God's good promise. And his good promise for them at the time was that he was leading them into the promised land, a land described as a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Instead, they asked, is the Lord even among us? And as a result... In verse 10 and 11, they become the recipients of God's anger. For 40 years, God says in verse 10, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. And then ultimately in verse 11, it means that they do not enter the promised land. He says, therefore I swore my wrath, they will not enter my rest. They didn't believe the promise of God and so they missed out on the promise of God. See, unbelief and hard hearts will stop us from wanting to praise God, will stop us from wanting to worship Him, will stop us from believing Him. And as we saw in Hebrews chapter 3, this warning is for us here today. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not follow the example of the Israelites in the desert. We are in the, as the writer of the Hebrews, Encouraged, exhorted, he says, brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That would be a tragedy, to turn away from God, to not enter his rest. We need to make sure that we keep holding on to Jesus. He is the one who will bring us into the eternal rest. But if we stop listening to God, we will turn away from him. We will turn away from the eternal promised rest that Jesus offers us. And so we need to hear this warning. It is a serious warning with serious eternal consequences. And so with this very serious warning comes a very serious question. Is your heart heart towards God's voice is your heart like a polished car where the water just beads straight off you hear God's word and just goes or is your heart like a sponge that soaks up God's word see where we hear God's voice is in the Bible Bible was not only superintended by the Holy Spirit of God as it was written by human authors the Bible was also breathed out by the Holy Spirit. God's words are in this book. Do you want to hear God's voice? Open the Bible. Ask God through the Holy Spirit to open up its truth to you. It's a treasure trove. It's sitting there ready for us to mine to learn about what God is like, to learn about what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, to find out about the salvation that he gives us. It's like in the Disney movie, Aladdin. There's this cave called the Cave of Wonders, and inside this cave, it's it's full of priceless treasures. That is the Bible. God's spirit breathed word to us, where we learn so much And 1 Timothy, sorry, it's 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, talks about how in this word, it makes us wise for salvation. Uh, Billy Graham said, If you're ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. Are you hearing God's voice? Are you opening your Bible? There's a trend in our time, even amongst Christians, to not read the Bible. Uh, In Aladdin, he could see all this priceless treasure but he was not able to touch it. And that's how sometimes we treat God's word. We effectively throw the Bible in the bin. You know, Maybe it's in a position of prominence in our house, on the, the bedside table, on the bookshelf, but not open, not being read. Maybe you've diligently downloaded the Bible app on your phone, but you don't open it. We need to hear God's word today. If you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. William Tyndale, he knew what a treasure God's word was. He devoted his life to translating the Bible. But at the time when he was translating the Bible, he did so illegally. He had his translation of the Bible printed illegally. He had his translation of the Bible smuggled into England illegally. Illegally. So that people like you and me could have a Bible in their own common language, which they could open, they could understand and mine for the treasure that it is. William Tyndale knew the treasure of having a Bible in our own language. Do you? or Do we take it for granted? Do you pour over God's word seeking his treasure? Now, in the context of Psalm 95 we actually need to think about, well, what does this mean for us as we gather together? Because the psalm is about, come, let us sing. Come, let us worship. Uh, we often talk about reading the Bible as something we do on our own, and I want to encourage that. That is something we should do. But we also need to talk about how we read the Bible when we meet together. Because this warning is actually for us in a setting where we are encouraged to meet together. So Hebrews chapter 3, right after telling us that we should see to it that none of us has an unbelieving heart, goes on to say, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We need to hear God's word and we need to encourage each other to hear God's word. We need to spur one another on. We need to tell each other to not let go, to hold on to our Lord Jesus. Because if we hold on to the very end, we will get to share in Christ, in that eternal rest. See, there is no lone Christian. There is no silo Christian. God hasn't designed for us to do the Christian life on our own. We're like hot coals and we need each other to stay hot. If you take a hot coal out of the fire it cools down real quick so we need to meet together and we need to listen to god's word and coming to church is a great way to do this you know at church we sing god's word in songs we read god's word we hear god's word in sermons do you come to church expecting to hear god's word to listen to his voice to actively engage when the sermon is being preached. You know, I often receive the comment after church, you know, so my work is done for the week. What am I going to do for the next 6 days until next Sunday? I know it's often said in jest. But I think a lot of the time, you might not realize actually how much effort goes in to bringing you God's word each Sunday. On average, I spend 10 to 15 hours Mining God's word so that I can present it to you clearly in the most helpful way that I can possibly do so. I want to make sure that I'm preaching God's word correctly. I want to make sure that I'm not misrepresenting God. I'm wanting to make sure that I present God's word to you in the most helpful possible way so that you can hear God's voice through his word. So that you can hold on to Christ. So I encourage you to actively engage in the sermon each week. Take notes. Talk about it with people afterwards. But there are other opportunities as Christians that we have for being able to meet together as well. That is just not church. There's not just church. You know, we, most of us are part of a household, part of a family. Do you open God's word in your household with your family? Teaching your family to treasure God's word is so important, especially if you've got kids in the household. You know, after dinner in our house, we have a Bible time. and uh, We use kids' Bibles. Uh, with our older kids, we've started reading with a full translation, the International Children's Bible. And we also use this devotional tool, which guides you through the Bible, four or five verses at a time. We, we chop and change. We use different resources and different tools at different times. Uh, But what's important is just actually opening God's word, treasuring God's word together as a family. Maybe that's not your situation. There are other ways to meet with other Christians through the week. Plan to meet with a friend from church and talk over God's word. Invite a Christian family over for dinner and have a time of prayer. Grow groups or Bible studies are a great way to do this. If you're not in one, now is the time to join. Organise to meet up with someone through the week over coffee and open the Bible. We need to create ways where we can encourage each other to be people who are listening to the voice of God, who are putting it into practice. So we need to heed the warning. Listen to God's voice. And what happens when we meet together? Well, let me tell you about kick. It happens in April every year, and I've been 15 to 20 times. I'd always come home from that conference rebuked. Because at the end of the conference, I would come away energized. I would come away encouraged. I might come away sleep-deprived, but I didn't mind. Because on that weekend, I would see how God would just work through the youth that were there. The conference itself was like attending five church services in one weekend. And it was fantastic just to see the way that the youth were changed by God's word. How through hearing the gospel through God's word, So many youth became Christian on that weekend. It was always something to praise God for. It's why I always put it on the youth group calendar. I would come away myself, encouraged, on fire, wanting to get into God's word, wanting to teach the youth more of God's word, wanting myself to read God's word more. And that's what happens when we meet with other Christians when we are encouraging each other to listen to God's word. We spur one another on. We're like hot coals just making each other hotter. And that's the same with church. That's what we should be doing when we come to church. Encouraging each other, spurring one another on, helping us to be people who listen to God's voice so that we will not be like the people in Maraba or at Massa. So what are we to do? We are to praise God and worship him together. Why? Because God is our maker and he's the one who gives us salvation. And so we need to heed the warning. We need to listen to God. For like we sing in the, the hymn, come thou fount of every blessing. They sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. That is all of us. And we need each other's encouragement. So that is not us. So let's encourage, exhort and sing praise to our God.